when a storm hits, what a house is built on makes a world of difference. As many of you know, on August 27th this year, Hurricane Laura made landfall and it ripped right through East Texas and Louisiana. And one of the people that the hurricane impacted is a little old widow named Louise who lives in Newton, Texas. I'm guessing some of you probably wonder, I've never even heard of Newton, Texas before. It's a tiny little town, probably about 25, 30 miles from the Texas-Louisiana border. But I met Louise this fall in late October while serving on a relief team with others from Bayou. And when we arrived at Louise's house, we were greeted by somewhere between nine and a dozen cats. And uh, shortly thereafter, Louise drove up in her Kia SUV and proceeded to feed her horses and a pet duck, I believe. Is that right, guys? Okay, some friends from the trip are here this morning. Yeah, she had a pet duck. Who has a pet duck? Anybody in here have a pet duck? Okay, I see a hand. Okay. Anyway, uh, very cool. So we, we uh, got to, to talking with Louise uh, and, and we, we were there to deliver some supplies for a roof repair. Uh, they didn't trust us to do the roof repair, so they had us just be the ones to deliver it. But uh, she wasn't living in her home. Louisa was not living there because a tree had crashed right through her roof. And when we stepped inside of her house, she invited us in. We saw her belongings piled up in the corners and her house was basically gutted with no flooring, no sheetrock, no ceiling. It had been completely damaged by the hurricane. And as we gathered in her living room, we used our phones as flashlights, as, as we all do. And uh, we did that because the electricity had been cut off. And Louise shared how in the aftermath of the storm, her 90-year-old brother had been diagnosed with COVID and her great-granddaughter, who lived with her, um, had been exposed to black mold while looking for something important in the house after the storm. And at the time, she was driving to Houston twice a week to receive lung treatments at one of our children's hospitals. And standing behind her there in the dark room, in, the, in her living room, uh, I was really glad Louise could not see my face because I couldn't help but weep. We all face storms at one time or another. Sometimes we're hit with literal storms like we were when Hurricane Harvey came through. Sometimes we face figurative storms like we have this year with COVID and all the many facets of of this mess. Maybe you've lost a job. Perhaps you've lost a loved one. Storms are a part of life. And if you're not currently going through one, I hate to break it to you, but you will. The question is if, the question is when, not if. Blue skies eventually turn gray. And when they do, what we all wanna know is this. When the storm comes, we wanna know, will I make it through? Will I survive? Can we survive the storms of life? That's the question I wanna wrestle through together this morning. Can we survive the storms of life? If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. 
Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be in verses 24 through 29 today. Um, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Jeremiah Meadows, and I have the honor of serving as the community group's pastor here in Cyprus. And uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, We can come up and do some sort of awkward greeting, elbow taps, whatever you're, you're comfortable with. But uh, if you're not currently in a community group, I have to give my plug. It's obligated. I'm obligated to do so. Not really. I just want to do so. Um, But I'd love to help you join one because the reason we have community groups is that every single one of us needs a, a tribe. We need some other folks who are following Jesus to help us do that. And in community groups, we gather so that we can grow to be more like Jesus in every area of life through scripture, through prayer, and through shared relationships. So yeah, I'm getting some amens from some of our faithful leaders right here on the front row. Thank you all for that. At least somebody appreciates community groups. (laughs) But yeah, our text today comes at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working our way through the sermon this fall as a church. And this last part of chapter seven is Jesus's conclusion to the entire sermon. We're about to read the very, very end of it. And this is where he calls his listeners to make a decision to commit themselves to his teaching, to Jesus himself. And to put it simply, Jesus says we all have a choice to make and there are only two options. We either know Jesus and enter through him the narrow gate into the kingdom of heaven, or we don't. It's, it's, that's it. There's two options. We either enter through him into the kingdom of heaven or we don't. And as we look at these final words in verses 24 through 29, we'll find out the answer to our question of if we can survive the storms of life. But before we do that, before we read, I wanna just pray and ask the, the father to speak to us by the spirit this morning. So let's do that. Father, we are gathered in this place this morning because we are desperate for you. We come here recognizing that life is hard and we don't have what it takes and we need you to help us. We're greatly in need of you. And we turn our eyes, we turn our minds, we turn our hearts, our ears. We turn every part of us to you today and we ask that you would speak to us, that your spirit would speak through the living word the scriptures, and that you would illumine Christ to us, that you would help us to see him more clearly and give us hearts that are quick to respond rightly, to obey what we read here this morning. We need you to work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we work through this passage, uh, what I I wanna do is we're gonna read a couple of verses. We'll kind of stop and we'll talk and and discuss those and then we'll read some more. So if you would look at verses 24 and 25 with me. Verses 24 and 25, it says this, this is Jesus speaking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Anybody in here today want to be wise? Yeah, I see a few hands. 
I'm guessing the rest of us that didn't raise our hands would say, yeah, yeah, I wanna be wise. Well, Jesus tells us how to be wise. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Jesus says the way to be wise is to hear his words and do them. And that second part is really, really important. We have to hear and do. It's not enough to just listen to Jesus. Wisdom comes from taking action, from making changes as a result of what Jesus tells us. And he says, those who do his words, he uses an analogy, he's telling a parable here. They are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, Jesus preached this sermon on the Mount rather near to the Sea of Galilee. And so they were familiar with the fact that the, sea sh- the, the, the sand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee was hard on the surface, especially during the hot summer. But what most people in his audience, if not all, would have known is that a wise builder would know that he couldn't trust the surface conditions of that shore. He would know that that ground was going to get soft when the winter came. And so a wise builder would sometimes dig down as far as 10 feet below the surface to the bedrock and lay the foundation for his house there. And according to Jesus, hearing and doing what he says is like that. It is building our lives. It is founding ourselves on a firm foundation, one that can stand, one that can hold us up. But that raises a question. What has Jesus been telling us to do in his sermon? If, if, if founding ourselves on a, on a firm foundation comes from not just hearing, but doing, what has he been telling us to do? Well, there are a number of, of examples that I could go through in the Sermon on the Mount, but here's one. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter six, Jesus tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So according to this, according to Jesus' teaching, the wise man does not lay up treasures on earth. They don't seek to find their joy, their satisfaction, their meaning in the things of this life. Instead, they they store up treasures in heaven. They decide that God and what he's about, his agenda, his purposes are what are ultimate. And they build their lives on that. Build their lives on eternal truth. Now, why is this the wise way to live? Look at verse 25. It says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. While it might've been sunny and dry when the man built his house, a storm was coming and it was going to greatly impact him. And life is like that. If 2020 has proven anything, it has shown us that life can send us hard things out of nowhere that just smack us in the face. We've all experienced that. But the wise man is prepared for the storm and it makes all the difference. Look at the end of verse 25. It says, even though the storm came, 
his house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. When the storm comes, the wise man house stays standing. He doesn't crumble under the weight of it all. And remember, this is an analogy. It's not really about houses in the end. It's using the picture and the image of a house to describe the person, our souls, the core of who we are. And what he's saying is that the wise person can go through the worst that life throws at us and can stay standing. It can be, we can be firm if we will listen to Jesus and do what he says. This man's house didn't fall because he founded his house on bedrock. And when we do what Jesus says and we align our lives with what is true, when we align our lives with him, we prepare ourselves for the storm. And when it comes, though it may be violent, though it may hurt, it doesn't take us out. We will survive. This year, I've had the privilege of getting to know uh, a guy who's new to Bayou City um, and his name's Ben. We first met over the summer. And when I met Ben, actually Johnny introduced me to, to him. Uh, it, we connected us. Um, ben was going through a really, really, really rough patch in his life. Um, last summer, he, w- he, he deals with a, a chronic illness. And at that point in the summer, he was kind of at the lowest of the low uh, as far as, as his, his battle with this illness is. Um, he had lost about almost a third of his body weight and he's already a pretty skinny person. Uh, he had lost about a third of his body weight. He was pretty much bedridden. And as a result of this, he had to drop out of school. He couldn't work and he really couldn't go anywhere. And on top of that, the church he had been an intern at pretty much kind of showed him the door because they were like, ah, there's not really anything for you to do since you're sick. But in spite of all of that, I share this story with you because in spite of all of that, when I met Ben, we, we sat, at, we sat um, across from each other over Zoom and there was a joy that exuded right through this man's face. There was just something that was like overwhelmingly powerful because he had a resolve and he had just this, this deep peace in spite of all of that pain and suffering. And what I've come to realize as I've gotten to know him throughout these uh, months since then is that Ben's joy and his peace and that, that resolve that he has stems from a deep abiding trust and obedience to Jesus. He's building his life on a firm foundation. And so when his body's trying to give way, his soul is standing firm. And so this fall, I've watched as Ben has gotten involved with one of our community groups. And what's, what's been so great is he hasn't just received encouragement. The amount of encouragement that he gives is, is I mean, you, you can, I can't even, I'm fighting back tears because of what I've gotten a front row seat, what I've gotten to watch. And now if you come to a service where he attends, you will see him raising his arms because God has restored his health. And now his body is able to do what his soul has been doing all along. So I, I, I sat in here two weeks ago and just found myself fighting back tears because I just was like, thank you God for this vivid picture of what it looks like to build 
your life on Jesus. I can't wait to hear more stories about what happens through Ben. He's hoping to get involved with our student ministry and that's gonna be great. But here's, here's what I wanna say. Do you wanna have unshakable joy? Impenetrable resolve. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Do everything that Jesus tells us to do. We do that and no storm will take us out. We will survive. Let's do what Jesus tells us to do. Unfortunately, everyone doesn't do that. Look at verses 26 and 27. He says, Jesus is still speaking. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Anybody in here aspire to be a fool? Just woke up this morning, man, I'd love to be a fool today. Jesus spells it out for us right here. A surefire way to be a fool is to listen to what Jesus says and not do anything about it. Fools hear Jesus's words, but they do not heed his instruction. Jesus says, everyone who fails to act upon what he says, everyone will be like a foolish man who built his house on the the sand. Instead of acting upon the truth that the sand is going to get soft and be a faulty foundation, when the weather gets colder, when the storm comes, the fool says, ah, I don't need to worry about that. And rather than plan for a rainy day and build his life in a place that is secure, the fool takes the easy way and builds his house on shaky ground. And why is that so foolish? Look back at verse 27. The rain came, the rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew against that house. These are the same words as what happened to the wise man. The same storm he experiences. But notice how drastically different the outcome is. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Instead of standing firm and strong when disaster strikes, the fool craters and crashes to the ground. And we've all seen this story play out. And one of the things, if you live long enough and you've paid enough attention is you'll see that fools come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Fools can be young and fools can be old. Some are rich, some are poor. Some are young, I already said that. Some are young, some are old. Some fools' lives are ripping apart at the seams and it's like evident while other fools appear to have it all together. I wonder, have you ever seen a guy who is super successful? He's in church every single Sunday. He knows all the right answers, but the minute something bad happens, his whole life falls apart and you realize he's been building a house of cards. Or maybe you've seen a woman who is always dressed to a T. Her kids are stellar athletes. They get perfect grades. And she says all the right things, but the second the storm hits, she loses all control and her facade comes crashing to the ground. We've seen it. You live long enough, you'll see somebody who had it all together, at least you thought so. And then the storm exposes where they've been building their life. How does that happen? The problem, here's here's how that happens. The problem is that you can hear the truth, 
You can even know the truth and say the truth. But if you don't do what it takes to build your life on the solid foundation by obeying Jesus and heeding the truth, you can still fall. Here's, here's the thing I was thinking about, and this is just, it's just a tragedy of life. You can look the part of a follower of Jesus and be a complete fraud. You can look the part and be a fraud. After all, that's Judas's story. If you think about it, think about this. Jesus, Judas lived with Jesus for three whole years. Who wouldn't love that? We'd all sign up for that. In spite of hearing Jesus teach every single day, in spite of sharing meals together and talking with Jesus face to face, Judas decided that 30 pieces of silver was better than following and obeying Jesus. And you know where that landed him? He took his own life, he hung himself. Three years walking every day with Jesus and somehow that was still what happened. And sadly, some people still make the same horrendous mistake. They are close, they are near, but they don't obey. So don't just listen to what Jesus says. Don't just listen to what Jesus says because we can survive the storms of life, but we can't blow Jesus's teachings off. Don't just listen to what he says. Now, verse 27 concludes Jesus's teaching. That's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He ends it with the fool building his house on the sand and his house falling. That's the last line, nothing else. Jesus, super cheery guy, huh? But Matthew tells us the response to the sermon in verses 28 and 29. Look there. And when Jesus had finished, saying, finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus called the audience to do something. Specifically, he was calling them to decide and commit to him as the way and the truth. And Matthew tells us that they were astonished at his teaching. Now on the surface, astonishment sounds positive, doesn't it? Anybody here think of that as negative? No, you don't. But here's the deal. If you go back and you trace this word throughout Matthew's gospel and the rest of the gospels is astonishment does not equal faith. And it certainly doesn't equal obedience. See, the crowds were amazed. They admired what Jesus had to say. And why? Matthew tells us, he says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The crowds were wowed because Jesus spoke with authority. They admired both what he said and how he said it. The scribes and rabbis of their day, the other teachers would say things like this. So-and-so says this. And remember in the Old Testament, we, we read that. They spoke by just being mockingbirds, reiterating what other people said, referencing other scripture and teachings. They really, all they had to, to offer was, was kind of reiterating the tradition. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said things that were radically different than that, like we read in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
but I say to you, notice that authority. He says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, Jesus said things that no one else had ever said before. And what he was doing is he was bringing the true meaning and the true interpretation of the law. Jesus' teaching was different because it had authority, but the main difference is that Jesus claimed to be the authority. I say to you, nobody else did that. He said that he had the final say on what is true. And just last week, we read verses 22 and 23 of chapter seven, where Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, the crowds were astonished because Jesus spoke as the authority. And the problem, as I've already said, is that to be astonished is not the same thing as doing what Jesus says. In fact, many of the people who were astonished at Jesus in the gospels lacked faith that Jesus really is who he says he is, the son of God. And so they chose not to do what he says. They walked away. In the end, Jesus's words are an invitation to you and to me to trust him. If we believe Jesus is who he says he is, we will trust that he knows what he is talking about and we will do what he says. If we make this choice, Jesus says we are wise and we will survive any storm that life throws at us, even the final storm when we meet him face to face on judgment day. But on the flip side, if we don't do that, if we don't do what Jesus says, we prove that we don't trust that he knows what he's talking about and we don't believe that he is who he says he is. And the question each and every one of us must answer is this, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? Will I trust him as the ultimate authority? Will I do what he tells me to do? Because if, if we decide that he's just a good teacher, we could listen to him, we might even admire him, but we will not do what he says. And the result will be that we will not survive the storm, particularly on judgment day. So I plead with you, instead of admiring Jesus as a good teacher, Trust in Jesus as the only savior. Don't admire him as just a good teacher. Trust him as the only savior. That's the call of the gospel because Jesus has all authority. Jesus is the eternal God who came to earth. And the good news of Christmas is that Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph and he lived the life that you and I fail to live, perfectly submitting himself to God, never doing anything wrong, and he died the death you and I deserve. He willingly went to the cross to pay the price for our sin, for our rebellion against God. And he rose from the dead on the third day. And here's the great news. He lives right now today and he is ready. He is willing and he is able to save you. And he's able to save me if we will call out to him. If we will call out to him in surrender, admitting that he is our only hope, that life is found in no other name. Jesus is the only foundation that we can stand on in judgment day. There is nothing else. There's no other option. 
Now I opened up this sermon by telling you about how I wept inside of Louise's living room. Here's the rest of the story. That dark living room in Louise's house where we gathered became a sanctuary that day. It became a sanctuary because as we listened to Louise talk, instead of hearing bitterness, instead of hearing complaining, as you might expect from somebody who went through all of that, Louise was grateful and she shared intricate details for minutes. I mean, maybe half an hour, I don't really remember. It was a long time, but she shared details of how God had been good to her, even in the aftermath of that storm. Louise shared of how God told her to get out of her house before the storm came. Do you know where that tree that went through her roof fell? Right above her bed. She shared how God had spared her life. And then she shared of how though her grandmother, or sorry, granddaughter had that lung damage from being in the house looking for something, the items, the, the special keepsakes that were in there they were able to find. And then Louise actually shared that the reason why she cared about these things was that she wanted to give them as a gift to a family member. It's a super long, complicated story that I can't share. But just, just think about that. Somebody who just lost their, their entire house. She told us she had not barely a dollar to her name. She was rejoicing that she was able to find something that she wanted to give away. And then she told us, about how her dear friend Ruth opened up her home and allowed Louise, her grandson and her great granddaughter all to move in with her. And she shared of how God was using even that to be a blessing because Ruth's husband had just died that year. So I asked these questions as I stood in that living room is why I share this story with you today. Who in the world is grateful after their house gets hit by a hurricane? Who has joy when their 90 year old brother is sick with COVID? Who has peace even though their great granddaughter has to receive lung treatments twice a week, three hours away? Somebody who is building their lives on Jesus. When the next storm comes, what will your life be built on? It's coming. What will your life be built on? If you trust Jesus and do what he says, you can survive any storm, even judgment day. If we don't, we won't. So will you do what Jesus tells you to do? Will you trust him as your only savior? Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so kind to provide a foundation for us to stand on. And it's not just a foundation. It's not an item. It's a person. You sent your son to the earth to save us from our sins. We celebrate at Christmas that Jesus took on flesh, that God became a man to rescue us. There's no other claim like it in all of human history. There's no other God who even says that they've done this. So my prayer for me, my prayer for each one of us here is that we would do what you say, that we would trust you as the savior and we would build our lives on you. Give us hearts that are soft towards the gospel. Give us feet and minds that are quick to obey Jesus and help us 
have great hope knowing that if we do that, we will survive anything. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're gonna close our service um, by having a time of prayer. Uh, we have some folks that'll come up and, and be available if you would like to come up and uh, receive prayer. Um, you know, as we talked about, life is hard and there are difficulties that we face and this time of year can often be a challenge. So, so I just invite you to come up and pray with one of the folks who's gonna be up here available. Um, they would love to, to, to meet you wherever you are. As Johnny talked about earlier in the service, you don't have to have it all together. Um, that's the beauty of the invitation of Jesus is that we just come. He will make us secure. We don't have to have it together. So just come. We invite you to, to, to receive prayer.